Hi, this is Jeff Vandermeer, the author of Annihilation, and you're listening to Booked. JG Bookedman here with another incredible offer from Booked Industries. Have you been searching for the perfect book time snack? Uh-huh. Is pie just too creamy? Yeah. Are nachos just too cheesy? Definitely. Do you wish you could find a happy medium between these two completely unrelated foods? Do I? Well, now you can. Tell me more. Introducing Booked Pie Chows. Using top secret proprietary technology, the genius engineers at Booked Labs have discovered a way of first baking a pie and then cutting it into nacho-sized pieces. It's It's a a miracle miracle of science! Not yet available in stores, the only way to get your greedy little orifices around these heavenly delights is through this offer. For the low, low price of $159.99... What? A bargain. You'll be sent platters of all three tasty pie chows flavors. Key lime pie chows, banana cream pie chows, and the bestial of the bunch, long dog dong pie chows. Boy, that's a mouthful. Or at least it is once you get that red lipstick behemoth past your lips, like this. <coughs> what in the bloody f***? That tastes like f***ing dingo dicks. But that's not all. If you act now, you also receive your very own burnt tongue. Put it in your drink. Wear it in your hair. Use it to choke out guys named Brian. So to get the delicious... Pycho's Triple Variety Pack, plus a burnt tongue, all for the low, low price of $159.99. What a bargain. Dial 188-BOOKED. Again, that's 188-B-O-O-K-E-D, period. Don't delay. Call today. Do not call. Not a real phone number. Enjoy your diabetes, you fat bastards. You're listening to Booked Beer and Bullshit where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I am your host, Mr. Frank. And I am your other host, Mr. Jeff. Today we'll be reviewing a book and then a beer, and then we'll be talking about things. Now it's Book Beer and Bullshit! We are your new host, Mr. Frank! And I am your other host, Mr. Jeff. Mr. Jeff, we have taken over the Booked Podcast. It's now called Booked Beers and Bullshit. We're combining our two podcasts together to make the greatest book podcast in the world, along with other drinking and stuff. So let's get down to it. I hear today that we're reviewing a very special beer. We are reviewing a very special beer. It's called Pycho's Beer. Pycho's Beer. It's nachos in a pie and a beer. It's nachos in a pie and a beer because your ex-host, Robin Livius, are now rich and famous and don't need to do any podcasts anymore. And they are rich off of Pycho's because Pycho's is the Pycho's is the Pycho's. Right out of their food truck, Pycho's has made the millions of dollars. They don't need to do the podcast anymore. That's why you and me are here today doing Pycho's. <laughs> Drink Pie Joe's beer. Pie Joe's beer. It's already they've already crafted Pie Joe's into Pie Joe's craft beer. That's how Must bad be. it's gotten. That's the skyrocketing. So what else uh, do we have to talk about today? Oh, all our new listeners, all our new constant listeners, new constant listeners from the booked podcast, the old book podcast. Robin Livius don't care about you any longer. They are no, Pie Joe's. They're your masters now. That's right. They are like the Bubba Gump of Pie Joe's. They just you know I just invented uh, invested in a fruit sandwiches. And Pacho soup, yeah, right. and Pacho's beer, yeah, right. and Pacho's. We got we got five food trucks. Called them all Jenny. <laughs> all Jenny. Jenny. <laughs> Jenny Pacho's one. Jenny Pacho's two. 
Life is like a bag of pachos. Life is like a bag of pachos. What you going to get? You never know which cheese you're going to get. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. Like, they just, they didn't even sell it to us. They just gave it to us. Well, you know, it wasn't worth much to begin with. So. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> they tried to make it highbrow, but in the end. No, you, no. You're going to like us much better, booked people. That's right. When you got pachos money, nothing looks important any longer. Nope, nope. But, hey, we're here to save the day. Save What's left of the flag for me? And Dude, I, I feel like we should just like go on and do our whole show. We should. <laughs> See, the problem is booked is highbrow, and books, beer, and bullshit is lowbrow. So when we combine it into booked, beer, and bullshit, we got to like meet in the middle somewhere. What do we got to do? Read about glittery vampires? I don't. I think we should do just a Caleb J. Ross book, right in the yeah, middle. Right in the middle. Right in the middle. Somewhere so no, between no nonsense and run the dead. Nonsense and important is Caleb J. Ross. Well, it was a good run while it lasted. It was. How many episodes did they have? A lot. They did like one a week. They were a weekly. Yeah, we do a yearly podcast and they do a weekly podcast. Constant listener, you're going to have to get used to a little more sporadic (laughs) (laughs) schedule. That's right. A month. At least. Then we'll have put out like five more. Yeah. And uh, you'll have... uh, Five more to listen to. Right. Pretend it's like a supersized football season. Exactly. Uh, keep, keep it rolling. Yes. I like it. So. I, yes. I say we just give them the whole thing. Let Rob sort it out. Up. Yeah. Why should I do any of the work? <laughs> we're booked beer and bullshit, motherfucker. <laughs> we exactly. Do what we want. It's not it's not pie cheese money, but hey, what the hell? All right, when you got pie cheese money, you can afford to hire an editor to make it all sound purdy. All right, all right, all right. That's enough of that. Rob and Liv have gone absolutely nowhere, and here's why: pie cheese is already a thing. Yeah, I was a little bit devastated when you sent me that. Uh, what was it, the Urban Dictionary uh, definition or something? Yeah, yeah, I'm pulling it up right now. I mean, I still don't know that it's actually copyrighted. It's not exactly what we had in mind. Um, but a paicho is a meal consisting of, of course, I start reading it from the Google thing and that click says to refresh, meal consisting of mince and cheese pie and corn chips. Now, that sounds like something Craig Walwork should have warned us off about, right? Like Yeah, already. he was asleep at the, at the wheel, I think. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure that that is not a North American uh, meal. Yeah, mince pie? Yeah, mince and cheese pie and corn chips. Mince. I like, yeah. I like corn chips. Corn chips are good. Like Fritos? Yeah, like Fritos. Down with some Fritos. Yeah. At any rate, thanks to the guys at uh, Books, Beer, and Bullshit for playing along um, with <laughs> us. Um, if you haven't checked out their podcast, you totally should. Um, I think that uh, what they sent us is a fairly fair representation of what you'll get over at that show. Yeah, that's the uh, brow level that you can expect if you're listening to Books, Beer, and Bullshit. <laughs> you know, here's the whole thing. When they say they're like, ah, yeah, those guys are highbrow, blah, blah, blah. When you just said brow, I was like, man, someone's going to be offended. Because you said it in a really snooty kind of way. But I guess from these thrones, anyway, we mentioned the word brow is going to come off as snooty. I think that's what it is, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're so far removed from the common man that it's (laughs) difficult to even understand what, like, normal people think. Yeah, I guess I agree. Right? So anyway, thanks to... (laughs) I'm trying to get us out of this and back us out here a little bit. This is a really um, pie chose heavy thanks. beginning to the episode, if you think about it. <laughs> it, it. It was. I'm thinking that was like five minutes of pie chose. 
and now another three with us talking about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So at the top of the episode, that was Triple A Adam Otten um, contributing a little piece of advertising for our still perhaps future business. The book lawyers are working on getting that trademarked. Um, and then again, thanks to Frank and Jeff from Books, Beer, and Bullshit for helping us out with that. Go check them out um, right after this episode. That's right. I really dig Adam Otten's J.G. Bookterman character. It's one of my favorites. A little bit loud, a little bit fast, but uh, he really, he, he just does such a ridiculously good job of incorporating like the boring shit from our episodes that... You know, it's validation in a way that someone is actually paying attention to the words that we're saying. Um, it, one, it, it, one person, yeah, someone, some <laughs> one, one being the, the the more important part of that word. Although I have to say really quickly, and I know we're we're really just kind of avoiding talking about RoboGenesis, I think, right now. But um, we got uh, tagged on Instagram. Uh, There's a, a coworker of mine that actually moved uh, away. She lives in Texas now, and. Uh, she was saying that um, her favorite episodes of Booked to listen to are where we tear down uh, bestsellers that suck, and um, that really warmed my heart. So her name is Jackie, and um, she used to work with me, and now she's she's living across the country. But sometimes I forget that she listens, and then she just kind of tagged us, and I thought it was really cool. Sometimes you forget that you run women off so that they have to go halfway across the country to get away from you. Yeah. <laughs> that was subtext. You didn't have to make it so obvious. <laughs> At any rate, um, you wanna you wanna tell listeners a little bit about the about the this week's uh, author. All right, so we're gonna be talking about the book Robogenesis, and the author is Daniel H. Wilson. He was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and earned a B.S. in computer science from the University of Tulsa, which I'm guessing is in Oklahoma. Um, after earning a Ph.D. in robotics from Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, he moved to Portland, Oregon, where he has authored seven books and probably eaten some donuts and, and had some alcohol. All I know is that he earned a B.S., and I think that he was using all of it in this uh, robot series. <laughs> uh, Settle in, listeners. Here's another uh, lengthy synopsis. The machine is still out there still alive. Humankind had triumphed over the machines. At the end of Robopocalypse, the modern world was largely devastated. Humankind was pressed to the point of annihilation, and the Earth was left in tatters. But the master artificial intelligence presence known as Arcos had been killed. In Robogenesis, we see that Arcos has survived. (laughs) (laughs) Spread across the far reaches of the world, the machine code has fragmented into millions of pieces, hiding and regrouping in a series of riveting narratives. Robogenesis explores the fates of characters new and old, robotic and human, as they fight to build a new world in the wake of a devastating war. Readers will bear witness as survivors find one another, form into groups, and react to drastically different and deadly technological landscape. All the while, the remnants of Arcos's shattered intelligence are seeping deeper into new breeds of machines, mounting a war that will not allow for humans to win again. Daniel H. Wilson makes a triumphant return to the apocalyptic world he created for an action-filled, raucous, very smart thrill ride about humanity and technology, pushing to the tipping point. Holy crap, dude, is this synopsis completely wrong? I was trying to find the part that was right. Um, the part where he says we see that Arcos has still survived is pretty accurate. Well, yeah, but uh, <laughs> I guess we'll talk about this. But 
man, something, yeah, something in that whole synopsis is completely wrong, or somehow I missed some major plot point in the book. Yeah. Before we get too far into this and how the, how the story actually goes, I want to send. I want to talk about uh, a text that I got from Livius. I think pretty much immediately after he uh, uh, started reading the book, and it goes, "Good Lord, this book has zombie robots." I chose better take off because this will be unbearable. Yeah, yeah, like page like five. Not only did I send you that, but I swear I flipped to the next page and someone was like, "Oh my god, there's zombie robots." <laughs> Like, I'm like, all right, I'm glad I wasn't just interpreting it that way. So this book picks up, um, I guess there's a note here we should probably address. There's three parts. Each one of them focuses on a group of characters. Is that fair? Right. But, um, so page one, you start, and it's immediately after Argos has been killed slash not killed, as mentioned in the in the Killed in, in quotes. Yeah. Um, so you read a third of the book and then it goes back to, so it covers like three or four months or whatever it is. And then it goes back to that time period right after that and shows you another group of survivors and you go through three months of that and then it goes right back again. (laughs) So time wise, (laughs) I don't really see what the point of that was. Could he not have done that? Like just concurrently? I, I don't like, it was a really terrible choice. If you ask me, essentially what he did was, um, instead of, interweaving timelines he basically just start he told three novellas of the same story from different perspectives and it seemed like just at the moment that one story would catch any kind of momentum or you finally got kind of into it it would end and you'd have to start back at the beginning of the same fucking day as like the the one before it did so it was really it was jarring the first time and it was just really disappointing the second time because you knew it was coming <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. And I, I mean, I, I vaguely remember the first book, but I will say that he chose not to. And I haven't gone back to listen to the episode, but I have to imagine that one of my favorite characters was the old Asian man, who actually is the one that kind of turns the first robot um, yeah. towards like helping humanity. It's probably the most interesting character in the first book. And man, you got to wait like two hundred and twenty pages. For him to pop up in this one. <laughs> yeah, you do. So, at any rate, Arcos has been... Here's, here's my concern. So, yes, Arcos was killed, sort of. Arcos, and I think they actually mentioned there's like a big earthquake at the end of the first one, if yep. I remember correctly. Yeah, it is mentioned. Ar- yeah. Arcos, the supercomputer that had turned every mechanical thing in the world against humanity in a bid to end humanity, um, sent out a last final message through an earthquake somehow. I'm not really sure because I'm not, I'm not a big computer guy. Rob, you're a Mac guy. Can you explain how that works? Um, you didn't know about earthquake computing? <laughs> I did not. Is that something as Apple? Seismic. Is, is Apple <laughs> working on that? I don't yeah. know what. Um, well, I don't know. I can't say for sure, but I think the iQuake will be out mm-hmm. sometime yeah. later yeah. this year. Yeah, I think the iPhone 7 is scheduled <laughs> that if you slam it down on a table, it actually sends vibrations to like other phones telling them that you're angry. Uh. Wow. Okay, so that happens. <laughs> um, uh. A little bit of Arco seeps out, enough to send a message to the rest of the world saying it's not over. And, and here's my favorite part of this whole book. I was trying to help you guys <laughs> because something much worse is coming. 
And the best way I could help you defend yourself against this much worse computer system is to kill off 95% of the population. Right. That means the rest of you are now ready to maybe, you know, stand up against this. I I don't, fuck, I don't even (laughs) even know what happened. But sure enough, there's another computer. Evil or eviler computer. A more evil. Far eviler. Yeah, more evil. Um, that was a predecessor of Arcos, which was AR-14, right? Yeah, Arcos was 14. This one the is single eight. best part of this book, yeah. Yep. The fact that this computer's name is A-R-A-Y-T-R-8. That was my favorite part of the whole book. Oh, Jesus, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. <laughs> R-8 Shah. I don't know where the Shah came from, but the R-8, Genius. Not bad. I didn't even catch that. All right. Yeah, well, you're on your toes. One, one full star for Daniel Wilson for that. <laughs> but and then the thing is, if you go back to the beginning, the very beginning basically says like, um, the war didn't end, or the humanity didn't w- actually win. This is my story about how I beat, how I won, and it's the other intelligence, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I, fuck. I don't. So, I don't know what, what happened. It's kind of weird. Let's be honest. It's a little bit weird. It's a little bit weird. So that's why I say the synopsis was, was completely 100% wrong, is that it's not Arcos that's infected all these other computers that's turning them. It's R8. Right. Which really makes the synopsis just flat out wrong. Right, and then you, but then, and then after that, you find out that there's like all these fucking like artificial intelligence all over the world that people, some humans knew about. Um, oh yeah, the deep intelligence. Yeah, the one that's underwater. There's the one that's in the fucking like Siberian, like desert or whatever, right? Yep. I don't think they have deserts in Siberia, but yes, whatever the tundra, fr- whatever it is, frozen tundra, yeah. whatever the appropriately barren wasteland of Siberia is. Um, which, which basically, like, it's it's almost like I imagine it like this. It's like we saw, like back in the day, they came out with Godzilla. That was like the first monster movie like that, right? I believe so. Yep. But just imagine at the end of the Godzilla, they're like, you know, or at the beginning of the second Godzilla, they're like, wait a minute, there's also Mothra and fucking Gamera and all these other things, and that's how you were like. It seems like that's what, that's the feel I got. They're just like, wait a minute, I'm not the only monster. There's all these other variety of monsters. Yeah. Yeah. So there's your basic setup for this book, is there is a, a far worse computer intelligence. And by worse, I mean the first one was actually good, because it destroyed the entire world in order to prepare the few of us that were left to be able to face its predecessor. And the predecessor's only like goal, we discover, is to destroy everything. So by destroying 95% of everything... To stop destroying everything, you've pretty much almost fulfilled the goal anyway. You really just got the guy within five yards of the of the of the end zone, right? Yes. But I did think about this, so I want you to think about the end of this book. We're going to spoil this a little bit. R eight, as cool of a name as he has, is not successful. Okay, I don't know if you saw this coming or not, but humanity does not end at the end. So maybe the whole Robo Apocalypse book, the first one, maybe Arcos was right. Because we, we survived. Yeah, if you can you call that survival, yeah, yeah. So as dumb as the whole premise is, <laughs> it did pay off because those few people that were left, which really at the end was like five human beings, I think, <laughs> and a, a couple of like weird hybrids, 
um, we're able to defeat R8. Maybe. Okay, we're but not really sure. Here, here's my problem with that, and this is where it's going to get pretty spoilery. Mm-hmm. It's definitely going to spoil Robopocalypse, so anybody who's just like preciously waiting to read Robocop, Robopocalypse just step out of the room or whatever. <laughs> I want to read Robo, Robocopalypse. That sounds much better. <laughs> Robocop. <laughs> oh, man, I don't want to read whatever that was. That's just... It's the E.L. James book that's coming out. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, goofy titles aside, um, here's the thing. Basically, though, Arcos tells people, hey, you know what? I wanted to save you guys by killing a bunch of people. Um, but the, rea- <laughs> the reality is what saves them is a bunch of kids that got operated on by Arcos. So instead of killing all the people in the world, he could have just operated on more people. And it wouldn't have been like a handful of nine-year-olds that were saving the world against like an artificial intelligence, right? That is correct. But here's I have a question for you. When they kept talking about Rob, not when not the parts they were talking about you, the other Rob. Yeah. That that's Arcos, right? Or was I missing something there? I think it was a general term for enemy robots. Oh. Oh, Rob. Oh, see? All right. We're even on the R8 thing now. So, now, uh, but something something you said though, unless I'm a little off topic here, but the the, the Robo Cockalix, whatever it's going to be. Yeah. I totally think, and I was thinking about this when you talked about Godzilla and Mothra. Have you ever read anything by Emma Steele? No. All right. So, Emma Steele, um, I believe to be Bradley Sands in disguise. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Right. I slept with Slenderman and Debbie does Monsterland. Yeah, fuck all monsters. Debbie does Monsterland sounded a little bit like the opening that you pictured to Godzilla 2. <laughs> but now that monster porn has maybe run its course, maybe robot porn is next. Oh, robot we should, porn. Uh, we, should, uh, we should at least hook up Emma Steele slash maybe Bradley Sands um, with this idea. And maybe he she can be in really early on this. Oh yeah, I think I think we're onto something. So now the list goes: the Happy Days podcast, then Pichos, mm-hmm. and then um, robot porn books, yeah, robot basically. erotica, yep. Robo erotica, yep. Robo erotica. End of the world, Robo erotica. Though it's got to be apocalyptic, totally apocalyptic. Robo erotica. <laughs> We're also going to need a linguist <laughs> that can help us with some of these terms. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit difficult, but uh, let's go back to let's go back to the the gen- Robo Genesis. Oh, I thought we were done talking about that book. Oh, I just got like a couple <laughs> more things. That's okay. It did, did. All right. So, did you read um, Ender's Game? No, I have not. Oh, I don't know anything about Ender's Game except for I think based on the movie trailer that. Like, these people have to fight a bunch of evil people. And what they do is they put a bunch of kids in charge, right? Oh, yeah. Something like that, I believe. So, like, in this book, the survivors have to fight a bunch of bad robots. And to survive, they put a bunch of modified kids in charge. I'm not saying Homeboy's ripping off Orson Scott Card. I don't know how homophobic Daniel H. Wilson is. If you get back to our, our bigots, remember we're talking about now, bigots. Hold before? on a second. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to be an apologist. Uh, <laughs> no, not me. No. <laughs> um, but maybe, maybe he lifted that idea a little bit from uh, Ender's Game. 
This is again me not knowing what the hell the book's about, but I thought it had something to do with kids being like in in charge of remotely in charge of armies or something like that. So Rob's alluding to again. We're gonna maybe this is much of a spoiler because comes up pretty early. Mathilda Perez in the first book basically is the one that saves the world. She has this vision um, that she's been given by by one of the robots for some reason unbeknownst to us, except that maybe Arcos was trying to set us up so we could fight R8. I have no idea. Um, but she's the reason he's defeated. She's the one who um, kind of contacts the military people after him and kind of gives them locations and positions and ideas on how to do things. So through the course of this book, she learns that there are many other kids that were modified in this way. And as Rob had just kind of mentioned, that's basic. There's like this weird scene... <laughs> Where these kids, they're, like, not in the same place, but they're, like, playing with blocks and moving those blocks is, like, moving robots because she could just control robots with her mind. Like, I don't I don't even know what the fuck happened in, like, the last <laughs> quarter of this book. I, I literally have no idea. Right, right, yeah. But, um, yeah, so maybe, maybe like Ender's Game? Maybe we should review Ender's Game. Um, okay, we can just, we just whatever the fuck we want now, so yeah, we can pretty do that. Much, yeah, now we got that pie chose money coming in. That's right, and maybe um, we can do it in the in, we can do that episode in the style of the year that Ender's Game came out, which is like in the seventies or something. So we can be really on. sexist. <laughs> yes, perfect. That's gonna be great. I can I can do sexist. We'll talk about Star Wars a lot. It's gonna be awesome and Jaws. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. I don't know how much more I want to talk about this book, but it, it, it the format kind of was just really awkward. And anytime I kind of started to get into a story, it totally shifted into a whole new beginning. And then I kind of got comfortable with that. And then it shifted into a whole new beginning again. And then all those three kind of crashed together in this weird um, final showdown uh, at the at the end of the book, which. Um, I think did as much to set up the next book as um, you know more more to set up the next book than anything else because the the ending was not super uh, exciting. But um, overall, I know you said that the the weird Asian old man was your favorite character from Robo Apocalypse. Yes, I have to say that my favorite character <laughs> in this whole book, and I'm not lying, is um, Houdini. Which is like a little robot, like not a little, but it's a, it's like the robot like thing that um, a couple of the main characters got carried around in. Spider tank. Spider tank. That's what it was. I believe it's a spider tank. It's basically a conveyance, but it was like my favorite character in the whole book. It, it was not a bad character, to be fair to. to God damn it. <sighs> yeah, I, I mean. Conceptually, some of the technology stuff was really cool. Um, for example, and again, just to kind of give uh, give them give Daniel Wilson credit, um, the there's like these slave walkers they're called. So I'm picturing like these giant adats from Empire right. Strikes Back. Yeah. But um, they enslave um, humans as they go to attack other encampments or, or whatever any villages they come across anywhere there's humanity. Um, and they each have a, a collar with like a chain to the bottom, and there's little cameras that watch them. So, as as our walker would approach a village or an encampment, little laser beams, the laser lights, I should say, would shoot out at where we're supposed to shoot, 
if you didn't shoot fast enough or if you turned your gun on the walker or on another one of your 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 slave team members this thing just yanked you up in the air and snapped your neck like i thought that was pretty pretty brilliant and and a pretty cool i don't know idea concept for you know enslaving people and getting them to fight because you go okay we enslave these people how do we make them fight like i think that he came up with a pretty cool way to still have you know human army slaves whatever you want to call them through the use of technology without just being like oh we put an implant in their head and now they do whatever we tell them to yeah until you realize that like if they just had guns on the walking thing it probably would have been a lot more efficient like if the robot was shooting instead yeah i mean i'm guessing there's some reason yeah it's a plot point yeah (laughs) and then the the spider tanks were kind of cool that they actually hunker down into bunkers like you get under one and it just like drops like some some metal on the sides or whatever and you can camp there for the night. Yeah, it was kind of decent. Some of the stuff he did was okay. I thought that the 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 kind of next evolution of uh, artificial, um, I guess artificial creation was cool. Where it was like at some point Matilda a couple different times and and you know it this kind of happened throughout the book uh, encountered. Um, these certain types of it was like a kind of almost a combination of natural and artificial animals so like she'd see a doe that um it was definitely not an animal but it was basically an artificial creature that emulated in almost every way what a natural animal would be like so that was kind of cool and it it basically and I have to imagine that this is going to take more of a of a central role in the next book because it it wasn't it didn't they didn't say there's gonna be a next book but we all fucking know there will be um, <laughs> that uh, like basically uh, there there's some sort of intelligence out there that's creating animals um, that are not just like you know killing machines or something that they're um, you know they live within nature and there's vegetarian. Um, robots basically that actually re-eat leaves and plants and stuff and then digest them in a way that emulates how a natural animal would digest things so that was interesting to me there was a flash of that in the in the first book there was a little bit more this time but i feel like it's probably going to take a bigger role in the next book and i'm just going to go ahead and assume that because i know we're never going to read the next book can I just tell you because i'd kind of forgotten about this i think it was one of those things where i tried to block it out of my head (laughs) Um, in the first book, the old Asian man, I can't even be bothered to look up names at this point. Um, the first robot that, that becomes kind of sentient and cares for humans is this robot that he made in the, um, uh, I don't know, in the, the model of his, his late wife, I believe, who died. Right. Um, and she's the one who winds up singing the song <laughs> that wakes all the other robots up and tells them, like, hey, it's okay to, like, not kill humans or whatever. <laughs> So she's did towards she's in the third section of this book and is treated as like the the queen of creation for um for freeborn robots is what they're called. But there's a part where she gives herself up to one of these deep intelligences, which is I'm assuming the one that's creating I believe they actually said in the book the one that's creating some of the natural robots. Right. Or whatever that you were just talking about. So she gives herself over to it, and then ten pages later, she is birthed out in another continent <laughs> out of an animal 
and hundreds or thousands of little butterflies are also birthed out into this field where they become like this moving armor for her, which reminded me of uh, the, the cockroach suit um, in, in Jeremy Robert Johnson's um, novella, which is brilliant, by the way, not like this book. Um, Dude. That she then, of course, uses to fight and kill off and save humans and do all the things that you would expect to happen in the last 15 to 20 pages of a book like this. Did uh, So are you... I, what I got out of that was... Not only did Daniel H. Wilson steal from Orson Scott Card, but he also stole from Jeremy Robert Johnson. Yeah, yeah, that could be. Son of a bitch. Dude, if she had cockroaches all over her, though, I'd be like, at least that's fucking cool. It's like <laughs> butterflies. They were like little razors that... And, and like I said, she just gets birthed out into this... this well, I, mean, I guess if earthquakes can send coded computer intelligence... I don't know. I, I don't even know what to say about this mess. Yeah. But now, if you think about it, though, those little bugs that you know, are her armor and stuff, mm-hmm. most effective against organic matter because they kind of eat shit, right? Yes. So, like, how is that supposed to help fight robots? I think like, they had little razor wings. I don't know. But, I mean, like, the, the thing that she did was take down, basically, <laughs> there was, like, one, one human that had been corrupted to help the robots, and he was pretty pivotal. And, like... She kind of mm-hmm. fought against... No. She, she fought against one of the humans, yeah. So, unless they knew, like, oh, we got to take out this human. I'm going to make this girl... With, we're going to set this broad up with a bunch of, like, eaty butterflies or something like that. <sighs> I don't know. It just seemed, like, very <laughs> contrived. Yep. All so, right. Um, <laughs> third strike. So, Rob, thanks thanks for selecting, yeah, this week's, uh, this week's book. <laughs> For us to review, <laughs> I wanted something to be. Ang- it's it's the uh, Fight Club. I wanted to destroy something beautiful, except for I wanted to just be angry at a book that wasn't beautiful. You were successful, sir. Yeah, you were successful. Um, let's uh, let's go ahead and do wrap ups. Oh, hold on, can I do one quote? Just one. Uh, yeah, help yourself. I don't. I mean, I think I highlighted some stuff, but it was all angry highlights, so I'm not going to share any of that. It's not worth it. This is um, oh, okay, I'll show it a markdown. There's a, a a guy named Cotton. Is the um, I'm pretty sure this. I'm trying to flip back to see if this is his part. But when anything's written from Hank Cotton's point of view, who is actually taken over by R8, um, he he has that kind of I don't know. He's Indian, but he kind of talks like an old white cowboy. Is kind of how I write his his dialogue. Oh, here comes the racism again. Here comes the racism. Um, th- no, actually, this isn't racist. <laughs> this is uh, the R8 thing goes about its business. Knives falling, cut in the air in flashes. Mechanical and quick, like a blank-eyed retard dropping cows at the slaughterhouse. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So a good fifteen percent of the book is uh, is uh, is written from Hank's standpoint, which is. That's kind of how he talks. Yeah. That's, that's it. the quote I have. Yep, that's it. <laughs> that's all your quotes? That's all you got? Yeah, it's all I'm going to go into. All right, why don't you first, wrap it up? All right. Um, you know, you've heard what we had to say about it. I, I think there were some really cool things in here. There's one part where they talk about, um, Wilson talks about 
the evolution of, of kind of the natural type robots where they use um, pl- some kind of rubber plastic for muscle that actually, you know, move with the, the, the robo-skeleton and stuff. And some of it's just written really, really well. Like that whole part about how creeped out people are and, and how effective that is psychologically against humans. Like that was written really well. I really liked the slave walkers and uh, the old Asian guy, his storyline kind of went askew, but you know, I liked him. I mean, there's, there's some good things about this, but overall the, the book is so contrived as Rob put it um, and flawed that, that it just can't get a good rating. So Rob uh, guessed because again we couldn't be bothered with this book any more than we were that we probably averaged out to a three for that um, last book Um, that being said even though I'm sure there were plot holes in that one it seems like there are just major plot holes in this one so I can't even I can't even go to a three on this I'm gonna go ahead and give it a two because I gave him one star for the name R8 um, and then oh, I'll give him another star for the uh, for the for the walkers and and some of the the writing itself was good, you know, like kind of paragraph by paragraph, even though the whole story didn't make a ton of sense. So what did you what did you give a two? Two. All right, here we go. Um, I think one of the most tragic things about this book is that I can see that uh, Daniel H. Wilson, as an author, has improved his writing ability. Um, the actual, like, <laughs> individual scenes and character, uh, not character development, but the actual individual scenes and, and the descriptions, the visual elements were, were, from what I remember of his other two books we've reviewed, better. Um, which almost made me feel bad because of how poorly the book in general was structured and um, just how crappy of an overall story it was. Um, the <laughs> the getting to the end, well, getting right up to the end, and then starting at the beginning, and getting right up to the end, and then starting at the beginning, and then getting all the way to the end, was probably the worst fucking structure of a book I've ever read in the entire like, entirety of me reading books. It was just awful. And... Um, <laughs> I think he just threw so much weird elements into the book um, instead of focusing on the really interesting stuff that could have just made it work well. So uh, it was a hodgepodge of just like, you know what? There's going to be this intelligence and then no, this intelligence and they're all fighting. And it turns out that the guy that was super evil in the beginning, it wasn't evil at all. He was He killed 95% of the entire human population to help them. Um, it was just just one impossible to believe thing after another and so um, it, it sucks that Daniel H. Wilson actually is a better writer than he was when he wrote Robopocalypse because he wrote a horrible book he took the talent that he's been developing and didn't make anything good out of it so um, <laughs> the more we talk about it the more I actually just hate this book there was some interesting stuff and there was again the guy does a great job of writing stuff that shows promise and then he just just doesn't serve it doesn't do it justice um so yeah i think i'm gonna do it one and a half that's pretty much the best i can do for this guy and and i think that's fair (laughs) yeah the book structure was awful who 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 let that happen 
I, I again can't be bothered to look up the publisher, but I'm guessing it's a pretty big publisher. Yeah, it's probably Hachette. All right, enough of that, but not enough of robots. They're in the air. So we have another installment of Words Eye View, which has been it's been quite a few weeks since we've gotten an installment. Is it? Yeah, it's been been a little while. Yeah, he must have been waiting to get hit by the uh, the robot um, earthquake or something. Without further ado, Malik Timbale and Words Eye View. Welcome to Words Eye View on Public Radio Broadcasting, where we look at the world of books through the eye of words. I'm Malik Tumbali, and this program is brought to you by generous donations from the Hazel and Martin Shank Foundation. Hazel and Martin Shank, only funding art they approve of for 40 years. On this episode of Words Eye View, we discuss Isaac Asimov's famous collection of short stories, I, Robot. Most stories in I, Robot are unconnected, but several follow the robot psychologist Dr. Susan Kelvin. Here is an excerpt. The Three Laws of Robotics. A robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. A robot must obey the orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. A robot must protect its own existence, as long as such protection does not conflict with the first and second law. The word robot itself derives from an old Czech word from robata, meaning forced labor, or slave, Was Asimov trying to discuss the future of capitalism, the idea that it is reliant upon exploitation of the working class in order to even exist? Were his stories about the subtle brainwashing of people in society turning us with rules and regulations into types of robots? We turn to your tweets for answers. At Fatnay Podcast tweeted, Where was Will Smith in this book? Seriously. At Fatnay Podcast also tweeted, Not putting Will Smith in here is racist. Seriously. And at Fatnay Podcast finally said, This book didn't even have his catchphrase, Aw hell no. Seriously. Now, the New York Times bestsellers in fiction, Organic Fruit and Vegetable Pairings of the Week. The Silkworm by Robert Galbraith inches its way into number five and goes nicely with some samphire. Number four is Invisible by James Patterson. Pair it with the sharp citrus of a pomelo. California by Edward Klein is number three and is calmed by some steamed Romanesco. Number two is Catherine Coulter's Power Play. Her power play is to eat plenty of jabuticaba. Brad Thor strikes number one with Act of War, which can be hammered home with a ripe Sheromoya. 
Thank you for opening your eyes with me, Malik Tumbali, and Words Eye View. Coming up next after Booked is Sean Connery's stories about his favorite sport and his favorite time of day. Tennis, anyone? I think that was kind of a doozy from Malik Tambali. He really brought his A game this time. A thing that I really that stands out to me more than more than there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about with that, but um, the thing that really stands out is um, did you notice that uh, the Twitter was uh, was Fat and A podcast? The tweets. Of course I did. Love I love Fat and A podcast. For those of you that don't know, Fat and A podcast is a uh, I say nearly defunct podcast. Now I keep thinking they're going to come back. And there's rumors of them coming back, but they're a movie review podcast that got started uh, right around the same time we did, actually, like a week before we did, I think. I mean, technically, but we we decided to do a podcast first. We did, and um, and it's been it's been a few years now. We're still around. Yeah, I was about to. I'm looking up when their most recent uh, episode came out. It's got to be over two years ago. The latest episode. There's no dates on this. It's really weird. Hold on. Hold on. March 27th, 2013. Oh, see, I guess it's only been a year and a half then. It's not bad, right? No, that's not bad. Listen, it's all about the schedule you put yourself on. We're on on a weekly schedule. Sometimes we go eight or nine days. Other podcasts, eh, 18 months. They're like, this podcast is like a cicada. It comes out every 17 years or 18 or whatever it is. (laughs) Gets really annoying, makes seven, a lot of noise. Yeah. What? I think it's seven years. Uh, same cadence, thing. I think. So anyway. Yeah, lots of information in there too. By the way, I didn't realize we were pronouncing robot wrong the whole time. Rob yeah, robot apparently is the way you pronounce it, so Yeah. I mean, we were talking about highbrow earlier. You don't get any more highbrow than Malik. That's right. So now, from now on, it's going to be Robit Apocalypse or Robit Genesis. Yep. Oh, speaking of, there was no Phil Collins in that entire book either. There was zero Phil Collins in that book, and you would think he would have just made mention, like a flashback. I mean, they, I mean, you can't get one character at some point to say, "I can feel it coming in the air," or whatever. <laughs> you need to write a, a novella that has. <laughs> All of the Genesis lyrics, all of them. Uh, we be we could do Robo Robopocalypse fan fiction, where it's the the band Genesis in this post apocalyptic robot time. We could do that, right? We could. Ro- robot. Robot. I'm sorry, it's gonna take a while for me to get used to that. I guess we should mention we do have have it on good authority that Words Eye View is looking to raise some funds in order to be able to continue to provide um, the fine service that they provide us here at Booked and at any public access radio station. Yeah, you know, like NPR does those, uh, what do you call those, pledge drives? Pledge drives. Yeah. I, I'm surprised we haven't had anything cut in to the Words Eye View lately, so, you know, they got to keep the doors open somehow. You can't, you can't all do free podcasts like we do. That's right. So um, stay tuned for more information on that, uh, maybe in the next uh, installment of Words Eye View. 
There we go. Uh, did you? All right, one more thing, and we can move on. I keep I uh-huh. keep beating these dead horses, but uh, did you catch that? Um, and I didn't even know this that a Robert Galbraith released a new book, which is a follow up to the Cuckoo's Calling, which means B J.K. Rowling still using that pen name. Yeah, um, I, I knew that there was going to be another book. No, I I completely missed that it was coming out. I knew that she had said they were gonna that it was gonna be a series. Um, but I guess it makes sense to not change it. Although I'm sure that the new one, if you I don't know, we could pull it up, I guess. But I'm sure if you walk into a bookstore, that it says you know J.K. Rowling writing as this time. I'm sure it's it's probably fi- filed in the in the R's and not in the the G's. Huh? <laughs> you know. I'm right know. next to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Nuts or whatever. <laughs> stones. Stones, sorry. That's the, uh, okay. The, I guess, yeah. Sorcerer's <laughs> Stone. Not, yeah. Not nuts. Still got the one? Uh. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's a book we're not going to review. Livius is keeping me away from recommending bad books now. <laughs> I knew the whole time I was just afraid you were going to want to read it. Oh, uh, look at what happened with Robo Justice. No, actually, I didn't know. I actually, and honestly, I didn't even catch it in Words Eye View when I listened to it. When you said that, I was like, oh, that must be one of the top sellers from Words Eye View. All right, I'm looking at the uh, cover right now. Um, the the hardcover of the book, Robert Galbraith, author of the best selling The Cuckoo's Calling. Uh, the book is The Silkworm, a Cormoran Strike novel. No mention of J.K. Rowling on the book. That's uh, that's a big miss on their part. <sighs> She's a big miss. She she maybe is. Yeah, because we read the what was that other crappy book we read from her? Uh, Casual Vacancy. Casual Vacancy. That was pretty terrible too. Um, yeah. and you know what? I mean, no, the Cuckoo's Calling wasn't terrible. It was just very cookie cutter. Yeah, so, it was cookie cutter. Yeah. I think this one's about an author. Something bad happens to an author. Instead of like a, she loses her fucking career. <laughs> Some author. Uh, <laughs> it's it, what? What if the story was? It was about an author who wrote a bunch of really successful fantasy stories, but then wrote a mystery story that everybody hated. <laughs> and somehow oh, had to get the detective involved. This book has been out for over a month. Um, as a book review podcast, we had no idea it existed. It's over a thousand reviews already on Amazon. <laughs> Uh, yeah. All right. Robert Galbraith, under the radar. Maybe we're just slipping. We just don't pay attention anymore. because we don't care anymore, Rob. We don't care. Do you care? We're too busy making Happy Days podcasts. That's right. If you haven't found it yet, 100 Happy Days. It might be out there somewhere. That's right. I, I, some, someone's going to go look if I say that. So we just we can <laughs> sit back and then <laughs> the knowledge that someone is searching out the 100 Happy Days podcast. Uh, that's enough for me. Yeah. Um, can we do a little bit of a podcast uh, house cleaning, so to speak? Yeah. You remember a couple episodes ago we reviewed the city? How could I forget, dude? Super racist? Yeah, so I apparently had said some things, and we got some listener comments on it. Um, you know, messages and, and whatever. So um, we did what all you know broadcasting networks do is uh we compiled an official booked statement regarding any statement i made during that episode that someone might have been construed as bigoted racist 
just plain mean whatever. So um, we, we pre-prepared this statement, so we're just going to go ahead and let it roll right now. Roll doll, he's a doll. Doctor Zeus will excuse. Livius, bigot apologist. Okay, ladies, who do we have on the bigot apologist list today? Donald Sterling. Ah, he's old. Justin Bieber. Ah, he's young. Mel Gibson. Ah, can't defend him. Daryl Ty, that's alright. Raise a joke, have a smoke. Livia's bigot apologist. That's me. Alright, so that was, that was a, a weird little segment about Livius being a bigot apologist. And really, that's the message that, that most major media companies and successful media corporations give out, is that when you get called out on doing something wrong, the best thing to do is just stick to your guns. Like, you just have to own your shit, basically, right? That's how you weather the storm. If you buckle, then they know that you're like, they that you're a wuss, Right. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. Here's what happened on another podcast. I was I was doing air quotes for some reason. I don't know around <laughs> podcast. I guess <laughs> if when faced with adversity like this, they would probably do what a major network would do and fire the the host. Right? I mean, this is what happens all the time. I yeah. can probably think of examples. There's that the 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 fat southern lady with the cooking. <laughs> Paula Dean. Her. They they got rid of her. Right. <laughs> They tried to get rid of the Duck Dynasty people, but then all the crazy religious people were like, oh, you're going to go to hell if you get rid of whatever their thing was. They didn't get rid of that guy. <laughs> yep, that, that happened too. Continue. <laughs> At any rate, not at this podcast. This <laughs> podcast stands behind its hosts. That's so, right. um I'd also like to say one more thing. Mel Gibson was awesome in Braveheart. That's all I've got. There's so much Mel Gibson that I love. Uh, I mean, you got What Women Want. <laughs> I saw that movie. Uh, um, no, seriously, though, the the Lethal Weapon movies, come on. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I've liked a lot of stuff Mel Gibson's done, but then he got real weird. Like, he did, like, the weird Jesus movie. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, he didn't star in it, but he produced, directed, whatever, and it was like it wasn't even in English. Passion of the Christ, so it right? Was, so it wasn't at all historically accurate. Um, <laughs> of course, exactly. Dude, the Bible's in English, right? Have you ever read any of the Bible? Read a passage from the Bible? Was it in Aramaic or whatever? Always in English. King James, yeah. it's the first Bible, right? Yeah, yeah. That that sounds like a like a English speaking guy. James King is such an English name. Yeah. So English, yeah, is the. Yeah. That's the that's the language that commonly was spoken like two thousand years ago when Jesus was alive, yeah. right? Yeah, not Arabic, not Hebrew. <sighs> that's right. Any rate, um, so yeah, no, he's done lots of great things. I love Braveheart. I really like that. It was the other one, um, the the Civil War one, Patriot. Yes, that was really good too. I cried during that movie. 
Yeah, big big surprise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's another movie I saw. For anybody who's listening, actually keeping tally of the movies, because I'm sure there's someone out there that's made a bet that I haven't seen 100 movies. You can add that to the list. Um, and yeah, I think there was, were there four Lethal Weapon movies? There was four Lethal Weapon movies, yeah. yeah. Dude, you know who's hot, that chick from the last Lethal Weapon movie. I mean, now she's like 70, but um, Renee Russo? Oh, yeah. yeah. She was in Tin Cup, another movie I saw. Oh. She's no yeah. Dame Helen Mirren, but... Uh, no, she, she's not... I, I don't know who that is. Keeps it the Dame Helen Mirren. Do oh, you think they're repeating it louder? <laughs> <laughs> That's what you do with people who don't speak English. You speak slow and loudly, and they will magically understand uh, you. The Bible. <laughs> yeah. Helen Mirren. I got. Oh, hold on. I Helen Mirren. She's been up. in everything, dude. Just search for everything, dude. M I R. Oh. I love autocomplete. I don't even have to spell shit anymore. Dude, you're going to see like 80 things you've seen her in. Um, she looks vaguely familiar. Oh, she's from the UK. Oh, she's coming out in some movies. Though. Let's see. Movies and TV shows. The Queen, Red 2, Caligula, Prime Suspect, Red. I'm still waiting to see one that, that I've seen. That's the first five that popped up on Google. Um, the Debt, Hundred Hitchcock. Monster, oh, I, no, I didn't see, I saw the other one, not Monsters University, I saw the other Monsters movie. But but dude, I have not movie? seen one thing she, oh wait, Excalibur, I saw that when I was a little kid. She uh, has timeless know. beauty, let's just put it, it, like if you, if. Oh no, no, yeah, she's, yeah, I, I can see that. She's like, like 80. Linda Carter. Yeah, Linda Carter's like that. Yeah. Linda Carter? Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman? Wonder Woman? Okay. Dude, holy crap. Yes, absolutely. Oh, she's in The Passion of Ayn Rand. Another person that I probably get beat down for defending. <laughs> I love Ayn Rand. And Atlas Shrugged was a great book. Oh, man. I was just listening. I, I was re-listening to some old episodes. Sometimes for the podcast in preparation, I re-listen to old episodes. Um, just to remember shit that we said. And um, I re-listened to something that you were, like, <laughs> you went on this big rant about how Atlas Shrugged was a good book. And you don't understand mm-hmm. why people are so down on her. Yes. I was like, oh, man. He's yeah. such a bigot apologist. Oh, that was the other thing I would say about that. So that clip has been sitting in our email for four days, maybe three days. <laughs> yeah. I find myself driving in the car and sometimes like I just, cause I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll use the phone or something. I'll turn on the radio and I like forget to turn it back on. And in my head, I have that song playing. That's become my theme song now. This is a dubious honor. That's not the uh, it's not the best of theme songs, but I don't have a theme song, so I'm still jealous. <sighs> Can I also say, and I know I've said it before, I love that any time that Auten um, does my voice, I sound like Count Dracula. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, we probably have some other stuff to talk about. Huh? All right, so Robopocalypse. I just thought of this. Do you know what book we read right before we read Robopocalypse? I wasn't expecting you to. It's a book called Before I Go to Sleep by S.G. S.J. Watson. S.J. Yes, S.J. Watson. Not S.G. Brown. No. S.J. Watson. Uh, interestingly, so I just happened to be, every now and then I just kind of troll iTunes, see what's going on. And uh, I happened across, there's like a uh, trailer, so you can watch trailers on uh, Apple's website and on my Apple TV, so... I'll just dig around and see if there's trailers for anything good. And I saw a trailer for the movie Before I Go to Sleep. 
which I, I I remember reading the book and everything, and I was like, oh, this has got to. I wonder if it's the same thing. And um, yeah, so they're actually making it into, not making, they made it into a movie. Like it's coming out soon. Yeah, I uh, when you told me about that, I went and checked out the trailer, and uh, God, I really liked that book. Yeah, it was Sorry, it was really a thriller. Yeah. Um. So it, that looks like a, it might be a, an okay movie, um, but. But the other trailer that recently um, came about, Horns by Joe Hill. Mm-hmm. Holy crap, I love that book. Speaking of uh, J, uh, J.K. Rowling, Harry Potter's playing the, the main character, it looks like. Yes, I believe he goes by a different name nowadays. Daniel Radcliffe. That's him. Potter. <laughs> but dude, it was funny. I, was, I saw in someone's Facebook thread was someone had shared that trailer and someone was like yeah I didn't like Horns I loved his other books and then like 35 people just berated that person <laughs> just <laughs> look wow. at the point where the comments were basically like you're a fucking idiot don't use don't use Facebook anymore wow <laughs> yeah um, looking forward to it I um, you know as excited as I am when a, movie, a book that I like is made into a movie that's one of the few that I'm very, very kind of hesitant about because I kind of have it in my head one way. Yeah. And if it doesn't go the way I have it in my head, I'm going to be disappointed. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, um, loved horns. I thought it was totally, wholly original when I read it. Um, much like everything else I've read by Joe Hill. Um, you know, great stuff. I'm glad to see that he's going to get some more exposure. If the movie's successful, that means he's going to probably sell more copies of Horns. He's probably going to sell more copies of his other books. So, good for him. I mean, because you know that, that you know, he comes from a very poor family and could use oh, yeah. money. Yeah. They get any, any, every, he doesn't have Pancho's money like we do. No, no. But that guy, man. I mean, what do you think is in here? I, Stephen King, I think, has three kids, three or four. But each one of them's got a end up with like 150 million dollars right when when steven finally kicks off i mean the, as long as here's the thing as long as the rights mm-hmm. to his writing remains in his estate and and is owned by stephen mm-hmm. king now those kids never have to i mean the, his kids never have to do anything again yeah. they're going to be books that sell for like up for it's not going to slow down it's always going to be going so. Yeah, kind of like that Under the Dome show. I'm really, I've really fallen out of. I, like, I watched the first season. I was like, it's okay, and now I'm just kind of like, I just want it to end. I want the dome to crash down and kill all of the people in that fucking town, including Stephen King. I don't think Stephen King's in it. No, I haven't seen him. So, I wouldn't be surprised if he makes an appearance. It wouldn't be the first time he appeared on a TV show, and he has appeared in some of his own movies. So, and he is directly involved. I think he's like an executive producer on it. Yep. So, I mean, he has some specific involvement yeah hey about horns though uh i'm surprised you didn't recommend that we uh read or the book and review the the movie as part of the podcast i was i was expecting you to say something like that oh i think just because i already i read the book years ago i wouldn't mind rereading it um we could totally go see the movie though i'm down for that maybe we can get the guys from fat and a to join us oh see oh (laughs) You know, I was going to go with, uh, maybe the guys from This Is Horror yeah, <laughs> want to do something with this, but sure. No, This Is Horror, that's what's going to happen, you know it. They love having us on. 
Yeah. Well, maybe we should have them on our show for once. There we I go. Know we cross broadcast one of them, but we have to we have to come up with a good uh, episode to have those guys on here. There and then, is. of course, because we're dumbed down Americans, we'll have to have a translator. But you know, no. Nah. All right, so maybe we can do that. Horns will come out. You and I will go see in the theater together. Read a bunch of popcorn. We'll uh, get on the Skypes, talk to those Brits, make it happen. Yes, we should do that. All right, so before we we wrap it up, and I realize we've gone kind of long for the evening, we do have, and we tried to save this for the end because we want to bring down the 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 feel of what started out as kind of a goofy podcast, but uh, this is serious stuff here. Um, this past week, the podcasting world has lost uh, has lost one of its own. Um, Lauren Santoro of Tales to Terrify, um, podcast winner of the year at This Is Horror um, this past year, um, passed away last week. Um, our condolences to his family and to his listeners. Yeah, from what I understand, it was an ongoing battle with cancer. He'd been in the hospital, in and out of the hospital a lot recently, and um, uh, he just, yeah, it was just a matter of days ago. It was really crazy. But um, up over at the Tales to Terrify website, uh, they put up a quick like 10, 15 minute little episode where one of the people that works with Tales of Terrify basically just explained to the listening audience what had happened and how important Lauren Santoro was to people. And um, there's been a huge, uh, you know, huge response on Facebook of, of so many people that we know that uh, are, are really, you know, affected by his loss and everything. So, um, yeah, our condolences to his family. Um, just kind of it's just an awful thing to to have happen yeah okay it was a class act i listened to plenty of those episodes and you know we were kind of joking around about being highbrow earlier but that guy made us look like clowns so um rest in peace lawrence santoro um you'll be missed and that wasn't i mean within a day or two i mean that wasn't the only bit of bad news i think it might have even been the same day or the day after we found out um uh, our hearts go out to um longtime friend of the podcast denise brown um the wife of of todd brown who is uh, in our anthology she um lost someone very close to her uh just very recently someone uh, at a very unexpectedly young age she lost someone so uh just completely unexpected and uh we just don't know what to say but but we're with you and um you know our hearts go out to you it's not that we're being purposely vague but you know, this isn't specifically about Denise or Todd, who are friends of the show. So we kind of like to respect their privacy a little bit. But yes, absolutely, our our, uh, our condolences and our hearts go out to you guys. Yeah, it's it's not often that um, that we're touched by th- like such tragic moments um, in in the people that are close to in the lives of the people that are close to us. But uh, I, I'm not one of those people that feels comfortable commenting on something on Facebook or or you know sending them a message or something like that. I just feel like. You know, I, I want to give people time, but at the same time, I want to, you know, say something. And so that I, I, I personally believe this is a decent venue to just um, convey our condolences and, and, you know, rally with the people who are, are going through a tough time. Couldn't have said it better myself, buddy. So what do we got coming up next week, Livius? Um, speaking of longtime friends of the podcast, Kevin Lynn Helmick um, recently, this this last week, released The Rain King, um, which is a, I don't know, I think it's novel length. I think he kind of pawned it off as a novella, but I think it's a short novel, um, which I actually, uh, full disclosure, blurbed 
Um, so I've already read it. I get the week off. Um, Rob <laughs> gets to do the heavy lifting this week and read a book on his own. Uh, we'll be reviewing The Rain King and and perhaps even having Kevin on. We're still trying to work that out. So uh, um, when next you hear from us, we're going to be doing kind of like weird Western. That's right. If you want a bit of a preview, um, you can go back to when we did our live uh, event for the release of the book Danthology. Kevin Helmick has a story, Noir's City, in the book Danthology. And um, he was one of our readers at our live reading. And what he did read... I believe, and Livius could verify this for me, mm-hmm. is the first chapter or the beginning yep. of this book. So um, if you want to get a ch- like a, a sneak peek of what we're reading, you can uh, go back to the booked live event and listen to him, uh, Kevin Lindhelmick, reading a- at that event. Yep. And, and, Rob, Rob, Rob. Yes? There's characters named after us in the book. I saw that. Was, am I a sheriff or something? You, there is, there is a Sheriff Olson. It's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, and there's a bigoted racist villain named Livius. <laughs> nice. I don't know where these guys get this crap. I didn't know there were vampires in the wild. So uh, until next. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this book has listen. This is a, I don't know what you're expecting, bud, but this is a this is a western with a little bit of a twist. Not saying there's vampires. I'm just saying this isn't this isn't uh, Louis L'Amour western stuff. Oh, that's too bad. Until then, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.